welcome to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts. I'm your host, Doug Peters, and we have a host of dinosaurs from the rink industry joining us today. We have Dave Loverock, the vice president of Jet Ice Ice Paints, Jim Hartnett, the president of EIS Ice Rinks, also formerly of Simcoe Refrigeration, C.W. Davis Ice Pro in Syracuse, New York. We have Norm Reed, who's the director of Conti Forum, also the sailing coach at Boston College in beautiful Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts. Dean Pomeroy, the former director at Terry Connors Ice Rink in Stamford, Connecticut, now a Zamboni driver at the Outpost Ice Arena in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And last but not least, we have Lee Roy. Yes, we have him today. Director, former director, Cumberland County Civic Center in Portland, Maine. Former manager at Travis Roy Arena at North Yarmouth Academy and former safety and sewage director at NASCAR Bush Light Series. Welcome, gentlemen. It's a pleasure to have you all here today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Doug. You might be sorry, but thanks. With this collection of industry veterans, it's hard to know who had the earliest start in the industry. Can you guys please tell our listeners what your first ice rink gig was and when and where? along with was refrigerated ice had it been invented by the time you guys started in the industry <laughs> oh. who do you want to start Doug? yeah who just work your way around jimmy why don't you th- give it a start and then we've got dean and norman and dave and uh lee will follow it up behind all you right guys. okay being an american my first uh uh encounter with ice was uh uh, when I was in this, actually, I was in the seminary studying to be a priest, and we built an outdoor rink in Kitchener, Ontario, at St. Jerome's College at 2727 King Street East. And then after a, a, a bouncing around quite a bit, I, uh, I wound up going to work for a refrigeration company in Syracuse, New York, C.W. Davis, and I worked on my first ice rink probably 1970. And... Uh, you know, and fumbled my way through a lot of them since then. So that's it for me, for a starter. Dino, I'm sorry. Dave, go ahead. Mine interest in all that interesting because I started with the the rink down at the end of the street at Glenbury Park, where the town put in the first part of the sheet, and then you got to uh, do ice maintenance with a hose. That's all you had. (laughs) So you had to bring your own shovel, clear the ice off, and put a flood on. Uh, and then I ran into probably in the mid 70s, I ran into Doug Moore, uh, the chief engineer at uh, Maple Leaf Gardens. He said, can you help me with some hot water heaters? And that was the, the demise of me. <laughs> <laughs> Dino, give it a shot. Let us know. Now, Jimmy's got me beat by a couple. I started in 72 up at the uh, Volpe Center up at uh, Merrimack College. Uh, Best thing about it was, I remember in the day, it was a buck seventy-five an hour to work. But if you drove to Zamboni, they paid you two bucks an hour. So it was good fun. Tom Lawler, the coach and uh, AD, there was a great guy to me. Funniest thing about that, I won't go on too much about. Poor Tom passed away about like in '76, like 49 years old. So between the stress of coaching and smoking like a choo-choo. but I used to go help him when I got out of school. I went up to Stoner Marina. There was another new building there. My next stop, I used to go to Merrimack and help them. They were on the plan. They would edge the ice once a month. And we've seen that where, you know, it's up over the doors. People are tripping trying to get on the ice. The ice is a 
So I used to go up there and work all night edging and, and cutting the ice and stuff. And I always wondered why. I was only like 22 years old. Why I felt I felt so messed up. My head was spinning. I run the edge for like two hours. Had <laughs> about 15 loads, and I wondered why I'm like I am now. So it was good fun. Too bad Tom passed so young. But uh, Merrimack, that was 72. Brand new rink open, and there I was. Norman, how about your career? Where did it get its start? Lost yourself. You're on mute, Norman. You're on mute, Norman. We're having technical difficulties, Norman. You put yourself on mute. Unmute yourself. You need Peduto there to help you. He needs glasses on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lee, why don't you jump in and uh, and fill in until Norman gets figured out how to unmute himself? Uh, let's see. 1972 Riverside Ice Arena in Portland, Maine. Brand new ice arena. A guy by the name of Tim O'Connell. Uh, excuse me. Uh, not Tim. That was his son. Uh, anyway, look. That was the first arena, then uh, Kenny Beck Ice Arena, North Yarmouth Academy Ice Arena, Kenny, uh, Cumberland County Civic Center, and finally North Yarmouth Academy, Travis Roy Ice Arena, uh, wrapped up my career in the ice industry. There's Norman. Norman, did you, did you, I can see you. Can, can we hear you? I don't know. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah. I hear you now. You got me. Okay. Okay. Give us your career history, Norman. All right. Uh, the first job I had was when I was working at RIT um, when I was playing hockey up there, uh, Zamboni driver. And after finishing college, I uh, started working at the rate for Lou Elkins. Uh, was, was that the 40s or the 50s, Norm? When did you start? Uh, that was 72. <laughs> 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 So Norman, about- Norman is Norman is so old that when we were restoring a Model E from RIT, he could remember having driven that machine when he was going to school up there. That's that's yeah. how old that Norman is. That's how old I am. Yeah. So. That's that's great. That's great. Okay, gentlemen, this is uh, going out to Jim and Lee because you guys have aged out of the business. What are you guys doing these days to keep yourself busy as well as trying to keep active? Jimmy, we'll have you start out again. Well, uh, uh, unfortunately, I had a, a couple of health setbacks that kind of knocked me out of the box. They, they had open heart surgery a couple of years ago. And then five weeks after that, which really got me, is because we promised I, I had a stroke and, I, and my peripheral vision is gone, so I can't drive. So that being said, my main uh, object in life today is trying not to insult the lady that lives here. It's my driver, and uh, you know I had a, I have to fill out uh, you know travel request travel vouchers to get to go to the bloody store. But uh, you know life is good. I mean, it could could have been a lot worse for me, and uh, you know uh, I was having a lot of fun with the grandchildren until this stuff hit, and so. Now it's just uh, way too much togetherness, and uh, tomorrow's our 49th wedding anniversary, so nobody's been killed, and that's the good thing. So, so that's what I'm doing, trying to have some fun. That's it. Well, it's, it's Lee, good. how about how about you? What are you doing, sir? Um, as most of you know, 
my my experience of the empty nest syndrome only lasted six weeks in 1995, and since then, up until this past October, my son kind of kept me on the go for most of those 25 years, as well as my wife. Um, I don't regret a single moment of it. Um, but in me, while I was doing that, uh, I did work for NASCAR, and that was my last real job. And then for the past, well, we, we came to Florida where it was truly snowbirds, six months in Vermont, right on Lake Champlain, and six months down here, give or take. Um, but in 2005, we moved down here. And then in 2008, when I left NASCAR, I've been on a racing team, um, which right now is, is a Canadian driver. And uh, I'm still traveling up until this past year around the United States, Canada, um, enjoying my passion, which is motorsports. Uh, and, and unbeknownst to those that are on this, back in 2012, I was actually on the winning team of the Daytona Rolex 24 hours uh, as a quote-unquote tire specialist. So we still, we're looking forward to racing this year uh, as soon as they open the Canadian border and our driver can get out of Canada. Uh, so other than that, I just, uh, down here in Florida, do absolutely nothing up in Vermont. I'm working 10 hours, 12 hours a day up there. Uh, with three properties to take care of. So that's about it. Well, that's that's good that you're keeping yourself active. And um, it was, I'm sure, a difficult situation for all of us knowing uh, Travis as well as we all did through you and uh, in the industry. We're very blessed to have had him on one of our podcasts last fall um, prior to his passing. And I uh, just want you to know how much he uh meant to me and to all of us in the industry you hear this? And, and i gotta tell you what a good night good guy norm actually is i mean you know without going <laughs> in the background but norm, i'm always grateful for what you did for travis at the back door of uh, conti arena that uh, that there was a door and he could always park his vehicle either just outside the door and usually was inside and uh, Norm, I always appreciated uh, you taking care and looking over my son when I couldn't be there. So thank you very much. You're welcome. You're welcome. It was a my pleasure. Good. Uh, Jimmy, make sure you uh, wish our best to Susan. She should be sainted for putting up with you for 49 plus years because I'm sure there was a little bit of time before she said I do. So she is uh, well deserving of whatever it is that you're buying her for. Uh, her anniversary that's coming up tomorrow. Right now, I'm just leaving her notes. We're not really talking that much until we get out of town. <laughs> D Dino, this one's for you. You're out of the industry, and then they sucked you back in. Could you uh, tell us, were you missing the cold weather, and, and tell us a little bit about your current gig working there at Outpost? Well, it was a big vacuum that just sucked me right in there. So uh, that was good. Actually, I haven't worked in this, uh, in the, I call it the land of entrapment that we live in here. The rink has been open at a very minimal level. So I haven't worked, you know, when the nutty hit last March, I just kind of faded into the sunset, rode off into the sunset. But uh, 
my my few months there was there about four or five months it was a lot of fun um you got it, it reminded me of the good old days back in beautiful natick mass at the west suburban arena also known as a building that you couldn't believe how much damage they could do in 10 years <laughs> you know bad zambonis bad refrigeration bad everything but they got lucky there at the outpost it was uh the bank had it and was you know begging somebody to take it and a gentleman my name is Stan Hubbard, who's a zillionaire from Minnesota, because he lives, uh, he owns radio and TV stations. He's, and his family is in the business in Minnesota for many years. So Stan bought the place and saved it. And he, he put at least a mill, mill, maybe a mill and a half into it, cleaned it up. It really is a nice facility now. And of course, when I get in there, I was a quasi consultant, also known as, uh, you know, you know what that is. <laughs> and I trained, trained guys on the Zamboni. I taught them how to do the edger. But uh, one of the highlights there was they had these two Zambonis that they got. You know, somebody sucked them in up in Minnesota. They paid, I don't know, you know, I talked to them, you know, maybe like about 120 grand for the two of them. They were two just beaters. I mean, rusty and so the good news was Stan, uh, God bless him, he's got deep pockets, as occasionally said, sometimes said short arms. But I browbeat him. I, I used to have to insult the guy. And I said to him, I said, Stan, you know, you've got a first-class facility here with fourth-class Zambonis. I said, you just got it. And they were breaking down left and right, et cetera, et cetera. So the good news was they finally, and this was a year ago, right before, you know, this crap happened. Like, I think, what was it, January, Doug, that you, you bought him a brand new, all the bells and whistles, Zamboni with all that, you know, the, the automatic stuff and the spray bar. And it, it, was, it was a lot of fun to learn that and work with that. And they, they sent the other one out, thank God. They finally sent it to Wisconsin to get a full refurb. But uh, the people there are great. The gentleman that runs the place is a former Air Force colonel. Trevor Flint, one of the nicest guys you meet, and he learned real fast, and he, he's done a great job. His wife works there too, and she said to me one day, he "Goes, is this ever going to change here? No, because the guys here like 15 hours a day, you know, running down the Zamboni's broken. He's running down. So I said, Deanna, don't worry, Nick. You know, everything will settle down. So the new Zamboni's were really, uh, it's it was a lot of fun, but I don't like the cold." I'm old. I can't stand it. I'm out there running around edging and going, man, this is just killing me. So uh, I talked to Trevor yesterday. I'm going to stop by and visit him. Good fun, you know, for about four or five months. And uh, I think I might, you know, I'll go over for lunch with those guys. But it was uh, it was enjoyable and very similar to the good old days. You know, it's, uh, rink business is good. It's it's changed some, but it's it's still, not as, as Eddie loves to say, still a lot of nuts and bolts involved in it. And we know a lot of nuts, so we're in good shape. So, This next question is going to be for Norman. Norman, when do you plan on joining some of your industry friends who are on the seven-day weekend plan? What, retire? Uh, why? It's, I'm having a great time still coming to work, uh, drinking coffee, then going to work out for two hours, and then come back, have lunch, then go home. It's still, get, it's still getting paid, too. Still getting paid. I'm getting double now. I'm Seventy. So and what about nap time? Is that uh, happen before or after you go home? Uh, a little nap after lunch. 
Um, why leave? It's you know, having, still having a great time. When Jerry York leaves, I'll leave. Uh, I think you're kind of like Mr. Zamboni. Richard is going to be 89 this year. God bless him. And he is still coming into work every day. Uh, he's not, his hours aren't quite as long, but uh, he still gets in every day, which is very impressive in my books. Dave, please tell our listeners about what you can recollect, recollect about when you did your or what you did prior to the rink industry, because I think that happened in the 70s. And there's if I remember some of the stories correctly, there's a period of time that your recollection isn't as good as it is in other decades. I grew up during the uh, 60s and 70s, and they were trying times for kids with long hair. Nobody really knew what they were doing. <laughs> but we tried to put as much fun into it as possible. And it, yeah, I was I was, I was into sound equipment, sound reinforcement. Um, I worked for Akai for Sansa. I worked for uh, Marantz. Worked for, um, and uh, it was just a, a thing where I made a lot of money over a short period of time. At that time, everybody had to have a, a set of speakers and a turntable and a great big power amp. So it was... Um, it was a, a lot of fun was in the in the industry itself. And then, uh, strangely enough, I walked into Doug Moore's house one day. Um, I knew his son. So Lou was a musician, and I was selling microphones and tape decks and oddball stuff. And I ran into Doug Moore, and he was the chief engineer at Maple Leaf Gardens. And uh, somehow or other, I slowly got sucked into the whole arena industry bit by bit, like one arena at a time. But who who wouldn't want to go down to Maple Leaf Gardens and watch um, George Flagler, who had to be at the time seven or eight years old, freehand paint a logo. They would, he would actually go down and paint a logo. And so I went down and watched that and said, there's got to be an easier way to do that. And Dougie was the chief engineer. He did all the hard work, and that was when buildings had nothing. Like they hadn't. He the only thing he had in his building was uh, three huge fans on the roof, and he operated the building just simply by controlling the temperature, and by opening and closing the drapes on the bombs. Um, it was actually pretty interesting to see, but I just got sucked into it, and bit by bit, I was found myself working there more and more, and. After 42 years, you start really, 40 some odd years, I think, you start realizing that, geez, a lot has happened and a lot has changed. Like this, this industry has changed dramatically from what it was when you start looking at all the old equipment that we used to have and old Danfoss controls to control your slab temperature. <laughs> Get the Danfoss winder down a little bit, pull her up. It was, uh, and now it's, you go into some of these rooms and they're just like a dream. You don't touch anything, you just let her run. But uh, it's good. To, it's good to see the industry is actually growing quite a bit, especially in the U.S. Canada, we got ice in our backyards and it runs in our veins. We play hockey and all summer long. It's but the U.S. it definitely has picked up a lot. Okay, this is going to be a question for the group. We'll start out with Jimmy. What is your recollection? First recollection that would be of meeting all the guys that uh, the dinosaurs that are in this group today. If you can remember back that far. Uh, well, yeah, three of them are easy. They're all, all in the same area. I, I guess the first one I start with uh, is Dave. You know, uh, I, I was a young kid uh, starting out when uh, Dougie Moore was 
in all his glory and and uh he he always was running with uh Roy Gardner and and uh John Karch, you know. And uh it was like the Canadian mafia, <laughs> you know, you couldn't couldn't crack it. So I remember saying to Doug one time I says, "Hey Dougie, um uh, how about give me a shot? You know, I said, I'm coming in behind everybody and you're blowing smoke up Simcoe's butt and I, I can't even get a lick at giving him a price. So that goes on about two months later, I got a call. A guy says to me, geez, I got this, the strangest, uh, the strangest uh, uh, compliment about you or not compliment, how uh, request. And I said, what's that? He says, you know, Doug Moore said to me, I said, no, he said, uh, I said, don't tell me he told you to give me a shot. He said, well, yeah, sort of. He said that, uh, look, at, if you can't afford Simcoe, which is the best in the world, he says, give that kid in Syracuse a shot, that Jimmy Hart, and see if he can do something. So, you know, <laughs> and he was a character. And it was, you know, I hadn't been around too long when, when, you know, he was bringing Doug around. Doug was like, I wasn't sure if Doug was his driver or if he carried the guitar for him or he just had to go out and do the work when Doug was pointing his fingers, you know. So I met him at that time. And then the other three amigos I met in, uh, in Niesmer, as they say down there, Niesmer, Niesmer <laughs> meeting. And uh, and I, I called up, uh, Eddie Peduto was the, uh, I mean, he was, uh, I think he was Norman's left winger and, and Lee was his right winger, I don't know. But I called up ask, asking about, they're having this trade show. So, you know, at that time you're, you're packing all this uh uh, bulletins and pamphlets and all that crap. And I didn't, I, I wanted to go down there and see some of those guys, but I didn't want to take, you know, a hundred pieces and then I have to lug them out and all that. So, so I get this guy on the phone and it's, uh, it's, uh, uh Eddie and, uh, Eddie's, uh, I said to him, I said, well, what kind of a turnout do you got? He say, listen, we got a long way the hell, a long time without you. We don't need you coming down from Syracuse. If you want to come, come. If you don't want to come, don't come. And don't put any, you know, don't put too much em uh, emphasis in or, or uh, 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 too much work in it preparing. So uh, it's up to you. So I said, son of a gun. I said, uh, I didn't say son of a gun, but I said, I'm going to go down there and punch that guy right in the That's how I felt him. So I walked in and, and it was at Norman's rink at Canty Forum. They're having their meeting. And uh, he was there at the, and Richard was with me. He was at the door and I said, uh, who's this? Uh, Peduto guy he says, that's me. Yeah, what about it? I said, I'm hurting it. And he says, well, it went on and on. And he had Gravelisi, the referee, with him too. So they were they were roommates. And so what a what a pair that was. And then they introduced me to to Storm and Norman and uh, went through Lee when he was the president down there. Lee had Lee loved to get the microphone when they were having all those. Uh, raffles down there they they wrestled the microphone away from him he he busted chaps on everybody trying to be nice to the donors and he was giving them as much crap as, as peduto did and that i just realized that that was truly the uh the boston way in the new uh northeast uh what what the hell is it northeast ice rink managers now and that was stevie Hoare that went into that i asked him once if he was a you know, if he was just a, a, a writer, because he used to write all this, these literature uh, that he run for the for their newsletter. It used to be, Christ, I thought he was trying to write, write his doctorate degree or something. But anyway, I, I fall in love with all those guys at Boston. We have, have a lot of good fun. And uh, certainly Eddie Peduto is one of my best friends today. So 
that's how I met. The, oh, I, and I left Dean out. Dean was there. You know, Dean was kind of, he was always on our board too, but Dean was the humble, easygoing, nice guy to deal with. Every time they'd beat me up, I'd go over and get a little solids from Dean. So <laughs> a lot of fun down there. Lots and lots of fun. That's it. Lo Love Rock, what about you? What, what's your recollection when you met this uh, aged group that we're dealing with today? Jimmy was the, probably the first one I ran into. Uh, I guess it was an ice. No, it wasn't ice, but it was ice pro. No, it was before that. C.W. Davis. Oh, C.W. Davis. Yeah, that yeah. goes. That'd be the 70s, somewhere around there. He was trying to weasel into the business there. Want to want to take Simcoe to the cleaners. <laughs> and uh, their, then their I guess, pockets were awful deep. I know that. <laughs> but then we started thinking about it. And then I started thinking about Normie and Normie. Geez, that goes way back, Normie. I guess they were putting together, uh, and that's, I ran into Peduto at the same time, and Dean, and Leroy. It, it was, uh, that would be most mostly Nisma, mostly the, where did we drag those straight down in the Cape, more than, and the, yeah, and at Normie's building. Down and the, the Christian Cape. Science Center, right in downtown yeah. Boston, where you couldn't get a drink, and of couldn't all the groups that have to, <laughs> have to be without a, alcohol is Nisma. And then well, they, they, they drag it out of the Cape later on and fill you with alcohol. I, Doug, I certainly know that you remember certain, you know, examples. Let's see, that's not the right word. Anyway, you got to know the beach quite well down in there. Uh, there, there's no photos of any escapades that took place out on a beach, Mr. Roy. There, there might have been a set of eyes. But those eyes are not very good, and the memory and is probably not very well. That's when he used to tell everybody how good he was with martinis, though. Remember that era? Okay, Mr. Roy, why don't you jump in and tell the group uh, what your first recollection of uh, this crowd is? Well, I was I was located in the northern hemisphere of Maine when I first got in the industry, and you know, the, I was I think only the second privately owned arena, maybe the first, because the others were all at colleges. No, Lewiston was open. And so I didn't really meet the cast of characters until I had a couple of years under my belt. And then I, I went down to one of those meetings and, you know, some of the fondest memories there and, and with ISI, oh, it used to be ISIA, right, Jim? Was it, was that yes. it? I, I yeah. Mean, I, yeah, that's it. And uh, so, you know, um, mainly, uh, I think I met just about everybody uh, at the Nisma conventions, which, uh, you know, we, we, we did have good times. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I'm still not sure why we allowed Jim to come down. Obviously, Ed didn't ask us about that. <laughs> you know, I mean, those stinky cigars. God, remember those awful things he'd smoke up? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, but Norman, were you there the, in Dean up in New Hampshire? What did we go to Waterville Valley one year? Yeah, we yeah, were up there. We went everywhere. Dino, how about you? Were, were you one of the founding fathers, uh, the group that put together Niesmer, or were you uh, brought into that fold at a later date? I did, actually, Norm brought me into it when I was actually down in Connecticut, so that's, uh, you know. I remember it was the uh, early 80s, but 
went there. First time I met Norm, me, Norm, and a gentleman by the name of Mike Driscoll. Remember Mike Driscoll, Norm, from Watertown? We had lunch probably, you know, mid-70s. I was in Stoneham. Norm was in Arlington, Mike, and first I met Norm there. And the rest of the gang had the good fortune. You know, Norm took me up. I was the Connecticut rep or whatever I called. And I was on the board for many years. Had great fun with Lee and Norm and Eddie and, the, and lots of other characters along the way. So it was, uh, you know, the Neesman thing for me was was terrific. It was, uh, you know, met so many great people. What can you say? I mean, and had more good fun. You know, we could go on for a month with the stories. <laughs> so it was great too. So I met, yeah, the rest of the gang I met through Nispa. Met Norm earlier, man. I don't know, one of those, uh, those Massachusetts people, you know? They, they would most, know it all, basically. Most, most of us go back to the, I think, I think the ISI trade shows. ISI? Yeah, I remember Vegas, they used to have them and they were, they'd have like 150, 200 booths. Yeah. They were huge. They yeah. were, it was a massive show when I went, the first time when I went to, and then slowly yeah. but surely, what's that, probably mid-80s? I can't remember, Doug, you tell me. Well, when, I, when he, My first one was in 85, I think, in Vegas and 86 in Boston. And it was uh, downtown Boston and they couldn't get machines into the building, and uh, I, that was before I came to Zamboni. Uh, 87 was my first year, and I think 87 might have been in Vegas. They had Ty Babylonia and Randy Gardner uh, at yeah, the old Hilton, yeah. at the old Hilton, which is now the Westgate. Yeah. So, uh, quite a few years ago. Quite a few years ago. We had, we I had a little bit more hair back then, and I think Jimmy's his his headshot for the ISI book is still when he had black hair. Which I don't know how many years that's been since he had that. So it was stayed black. It stayed black till I met you, and I worried about <laughs> you so much it turned white. You know, it's funny, Jimmy. You brought up the names of a couple legends, and maybe Dave mentioned them as well: Roy Gardner and John Karsh, who unfortunately aren't with us any longer. But they used to sit in a room and talk about how they had, I don't know, a hundred combined years of of uh, experience. How many do you guys suppose we have here in this room uh, if we add it all up? Are we over 250 or 300 uh, uh, years of experience with you guys? Yeah, I bet you we well, got two, 250 anyway. Uh, Norm's been there for like 80 years, hasn't he? he just, no, I think he just looks that way. Uh, <laughs> I give him trying to make us look old. He's still young, young and hot. There's a photo that I hope to get to use for the artwork of this that Norman had a birthday party about a year or so ago when he was 70. So I don't know if he's 71 going on 72 or if he's 72 going on 73. But he it was back in the day he had quite the curly afro, which I was amazed to see. And he looked like he was right out of Easy Rider because he was on the back of a motorcycle holding on to a helmet. And and that is, a, it's either that one or the one of him in a kilt that uh, I'm looking forward to using for this artwork. And we'll have to see if we can't drum up some pictures through the years of some of you guys in some, some of your more natural poses. I, I'd like to ask somewhat of a serious question, if I can, to the group. Uh, and we can start out with David. Dave, how has the industry changed in the many years of your involvement? And have those changes been for good, bad, or indifferent? Well, they say the older you get, the crabbier you get. So <laughs> <laughs> I do. I the industry 
when I, when I first came into it, there was it was I classified as the old guard. It was the guy that started at the rink and it was almost handed down to them. He took the job after school or something like that. He just grew with it and then got hired by the town or the municipality or whoever owned the rink. And he became a part of the fixture of the arena. He had drivers, he had people at the front taking tickets. He, and that's what the industry was. And it was, it's, it was almost a, a family. It was a family of people. Um, and over the years, it definitely changed. Uh, I'd say probably the last 20 more so is that um, people come and go more frequently. People don't stay as long. Um, and it's, a, it's always been like a re-education program uh, for people coming into the industry. Oh, because everybody wants to drive the Zamboni. Although that song rings in everybody's ears, it really is true. And those people come in, they drive the Zamboni, and they do it for a couple of months or a couple of years, and then they quit. There's very few lifers anymore, the, the, the old dogs that stick around. Now, um, I don't know how it is down there, but they can reflect definitely on Canada. But I, some of the older buildings, because we do a lot of the NHL clubs, those people stick around, and they're well-trained and they're well-paid in most cases. And uh, they've, they've got, uh, it's about uh, putting, a, putting in 44 hockey games. It's uh, and about the hockey club itself. But uh, those guys are, they're solid. They're mostly pretty good guys. But uh, yeah, there's uh, an issue with uh, keeping and retaining employees. And, and the problem is paying them a good wage for what they do. A good employee is worth his weight in gold. A bad employee, you're better off to let him go and find a good one. Dino, how about you? What do you think? The changes over the years, like I think the um, it's nice to see a lot of new facilities. You know, you know, the past thirty years. You know, I grew up in the Bob Orr days when in Mass. You know, about fifty to hundred rinks popped up in two years. You know, everybody built a rink and. You know, whether it be Arlington and Winchester, Stoneham, or wherever. You know, it was different then. It was good. But I, um, I, like I said, last year, the rink, uh, you know, the whole scenario, even though it's progressed quite a bit, it, it was still similar because it was a, it was a family-owned business. So that in that in that light, if you got a family-owned business, there was a lot of old-school stuff, which is good. You know, the new ones. You know, in Stanford, I'm gone 11 years. You know, they built about six rinks there in the past 10 years. You know, the, the big giant Chelsea Piers and in, in, in that particular area, there's a lot of people. There's just too many rinks. And the good news is for the guys used to work at 3 o'clock in the morning, the last ice time is done at 10 o'clock now because they just built some rinks. So I think that, uh, you know, it's it's similar, but it's progressed and it's good. I mean, progression is good in Osmore kids. The only thing, my biggest appointment, disappointment, and I'm not going to go, off on a crazy because a lot of you guys we all grew up with this stuff is that I'm disappointed what what I I saw is the basically the destruction of youth hockey and what I mean by that is now every every program there's no house league or uh, you know youth participation for all the kids it's just some elite team with a bunch of parents running around going cuckoo and I saw tons of that it's worse than ever and these junior teams now now, I understand, let's face it, a college coach, if you can get a 21-year-old freshman versus the back in the days, uh, you know, when the kids came out of high school and went right to college. So 
you know, that, that whole thing. But the junior thing, you know, second, third, fourth-tier junior programs pulling kids out of high school. And I, told, I remember telling one kid from Hamden, Connecticut, which is a good hockey town, you know, blue-collar. Kid was going to go to play juniors one year. And this is 20 years. I said, you know, Anthony, his name was. His goalie, he was really good. I said, you know what? Finish your years here at Hamden. Because they played the state championship at Yale. And it was not quite as the, good as the garden. But it was great. Packed house. The whole town there. Everybody, I tried to explain to you, see, you'll never, ever forget your experience here in high school with your friends, your parents, and your family. You can go play that junior thing early, and there'd be 20 people in the stands. Because many of the games, that's what it is. You know, parents are standing there. You know, second, third tier level. I'm not talking about uh, USHL. We're talking normal local stuff. So that's... Uh, that's my disappointment. I, you know, the Utahki, I give you a quiz, but I'll tell you now and you'll be entertained. Normal, understand, Boston guy. Uh, Stoner Marina opened up in 73, um, which most of these kids did. 20,000 people in Stoner. How many kids in the Utahki? A thousand. Even more interesting, Natick Comets. Uh, Middles, they had a beautiful picture of all the kids in the Utahki mid 70s. They put them in the, in the whole rink. 1,400 kids in the youth hockey program. Now I went, I left Stanford 11 years ago. They had about 110 kids, 120. The whole thing. So like I said, all these junior things, they're dragging these kids out of the program. They're dragging them out of the high schools, even the prep schools, because anybody with half a brain, if you could go to Taft school or Chota something for nothing, you'd be a complete crazy person not to go for sixty dollars or $70,000 worth of education. So. I get off but my soap now, guys. But that's uh, that's but the, it hurts uh, the rest of the industry. Disappointing. <laughs> well, I think that segues into Lee and the speech you used to give back when Trav was in high school, I think, and you had it laid out as to how many kids were uh, playing in hockey, how many college scholarships there were in D1, and you know, was your was your kid really that X percent? I, I, you probably might remember it. I, I don't, but um, he also referred to it as checkbook hockey. You know, I've got a grandkid that uh, a couple of them that played checkbook soccer. Their kids made the all-star team because dad could write the check for it. So maybe Lee, you can uh, help our listeners understand what you were talking about back then. Back, back then, which I want to say would have been the, you know, late 80s, early 90s, the, the statistics were that one-tenth of one percent of everybody playing ho youth hockey in the United States would earn their living playing hockey, one-tenth of one percent. And, you know, everybody thought it was going to be their kid that made it. And, you know, I agree with Dean. Yeah. The, the, you know, the, the old time, two things, one good, one bad. When I first started at Riverside Arena in Portland, Maine, the guy's name was Tom O'Connell, and he built a triple in Hingham, Mass., which some of you may have been involved in that in one way or another over the years, whatever. But my background was in education. I'd been a teacher for three years, and I was going to get my master's degree when this guy approached me and said, want to run my ice arena, new ice arena in Portland, Maine. And I told him, I said, I don't know anything about running an ice arena. I said, I played hockey all my life, and that's it. He said, yeah. He said, I'll teach you everything you need to know. 
And I said, okay. And he doubled my salary from teaching. And so we stayed in Maine and he taught me everything I needed to know because two and well, it took six months before we opened the arena. It was being built when he hired me. And two and a half years later, I was in bankruptcy court. So the guy taught me A to Z, everything I needed to know about running an arena. Um, not that my arena failed, but his, his brokerage firm up in uh, New York uh, failed, but domino factor. But the, the other story is more current and is one that's <clears throat> sort of relates to all this stuff in, in what we're saying. Back when Travis was injured, broke his neck in 1995, well over a million dollars was raised for Travis's benefit and to make his life a little bit better. And uh, the hockey community rallied around Travis like I would, I couldn't believe what the hockey family is. And I think all of you know that and experienced it one time or another. And just recently, you may have heard about the player in uh, Rhode Island that broke his neck. And, and we've been in touch with him and Brenda's talked with his mother and so forth. And I, it makes me feel so good to know that although the numbers are down in the number of hockey players and youth hockey and all that, again, over a million dollars has been raised for that uh, individual to try to make his life and that of his loved ones uh, a lot better. So, um, it, the, as I say, the hockey family, the hockey community, I don't think there's another one like it, uh, I, I, you know, in all, all sports. I, I may be wrong, but uh, I think that's just proof, again, of, of all of us that grew up in it and in, in the sacrifices that were made when you came into those cold arenas in the morning. And I mean, mine was one of the coldest. in uh, the late you know, all the stuff that we went through, um, having to have the arenas because we poisoned our, our spectators, <laughs> uh, all those things. But uh, anyways, uh, I'm just glad that the, the hockey family still exists out there in supporting uh, the, the programs that are still in existence and individuals, so. Uh, it's... I don't think I'll ever forget the night that the, the Trav's accident happened. And I know it, you, you were close to us before, Lee, and that uh, that tightened us up even more so. And uh, there isn't anybody within this group that, um, you know, would not do anything to change that event or uh, to help out um, after it happened. But Norman, I know that uh, my first recollection of, of you um, at Conti Forum, I believe it was 1988, correct me if my memory's wrong, that uh, got a phone call from you that your machine arrived and there were some boxes that had gone over the wall uh, and had damaged the paint on the machine. Uh, can, can you fill us in on what's changed in the industry in your time, uh, the lengthy time that it's been since the days of the town of Arlington? And I believe you driving a Model F there. Yeah, I remember the old Model F. That was great. Um, I still love that old machine. Eddie has that now. He he inherited it. Um, now, um, I think that 
the business has been great. You know, it's it's involved. Um, the only thing now is like Eddie's still bitching about the uh, the professional youth hockey uh, coaches. Uh, that's kind of killed some of the youth hockey. You know, all these uh, kid guys getting paid with a checkbook out, getting paid for for coaching. That's killing the hockey. You know, around here, but. Um, other than that, I think everything's is moving along like it should. You know, the uh, Zambonis coming out with electric edges and electric Zambonis, and uh, you know, now I get you know, and getting rid of the ammonia. I get sewing machines to make my uh, refrigeration. I get the ice cubes. I call them uh, sewing machines. Uh, 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 Business is, uh, I think, it's gone pretty good, you know. Still love it. You know, I still love coming to work. Um, I miss you guys. That's the only bad thing is miss some of the old guys. Uh, going to miss not going to the convention this year, another year. Um, so I hope I'm around for next year's convention in two, 2022. So. But, but is it true, Norm, though, that you get paid a half a million dollars to, to sit there? I wish I did. Uh, I know one thing I'm planning to be in Maine all summer. I hope to be in Maine all summer. Well, I got that, a lot of vacation. That reminds well, me, I know what you're talking about. And some, probably everybody knows that you have an, what is it, 124 foot Hinkley sailboat that you sail on? No, nah, just a 50 footer. All right. Well, anyways, <laughs> Jack Parker and I talked today, uh, Norm, and he said to send a uh, is very best to you and he'd like to see you up at Agaswamp sometime uh, uh, come in and say hello to him in your boat oh definitely I'll make a point to seeing him this summer so yep. that's good there hey, are uh, any rocks hey. there there are there and no, no rocks up in Maine <laughs> <laughs> yeah right hey Dave what, what did you do to Dave Frazier he says that you stole his idea about the uh flood mission the flood uh card he has yeah he's at well he had a he had a he had a flood cart for uh with the drive-on unit it's like one of those yeah, easy, go, easy go carts and he uh, decided he wanted to go electric so he went out and bought these pumps and then to go electric to get away from that honda pump yeah he, he put on a generator yeah so I didn't want to steal his idea, but we're working on one now that's uh, uh, for the Kraken out in Seattle. Uh, it's going to be all electric, and it's going to go with uh, bilge pumps out of, bolt, out of boats, those Jabsco bilge pumps. Yeah, that's what I told him, and that's what he should have done in the first place. Yeah, that yeah. worked so fine. I didn't really steal his idea. I'm just modifying it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I think what you need to do is do – do what that ingenious Maine guy would do when he was painting at his ice. He would go to a rental shop, rent a pump and a sprayer, and he would bring it back full of paint so that he would uh, he, he would not have to clean it up. I don't know if they how many years in a row he destroyed that equipment, but it was a rental. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Jimmy Hartnett, how about you with the refrigeration and all the different stuff that uh, you've seen in your many years what uh, what do you think with the changes uh, i think 
the technology on the on the uh, on the uh, refrigeration and that end of it is is uh, you know come a long way. You know, uh, uh, Doug mentioned earlier about their uh, about uh, you know we're we're they were uh, measuring return brine and try to maintain a, a temperature on the ice surface and uh, and uh, you know the, the ancillary things the desiccant dehumidification has made a huge difference in a lot of places and um, the low e ceilings you know that stuff uh, they're all ancillary things to refrigeration uh, but uh, you know uh, Norm's talking about his ice cube stuff I mean you know. You know, a lot of this stuff gets wrapped up pretty nice and packaged up pretty nice and sold. It used to be called a pig and a poke sometimes, but uh, but you know, people are marketing and they're buying it and they're you know they're getting 15, 16, 18 degree brine going out to the floor and it's coming back and you know they're making ice. So I I don't know. Uh, uh, I think the only thing that bothers me sometimes is is uh, you know, and people tend to hire some of the local plumbing shops to do this stuff, and then they they can't understand why they've got problems, or they hire just a uh, an air conditioning company that uh, that, or just a refrigeration company that's never been involved in an ice rink. You know, and there's you know there's a couple of sections, a couple of parts of that. You know, on the floor and how you get the fluid out to the floor and back, and you know how that floor is built and how the pipes are laid in that floor and and all that stuff. Uh, uh, you know, you feel better when somebody knows what they're doing. And I'm not talking about uh, just the uh, national guys or international guys. I mean, they're certainly uh, New England's got Boston itself's got two or three great contractors down there that they're that more than capable. And that's true. Minnesota, too. And, and a few of the places. But, uh, you know, I think the, the changes that way has been better. But I, I, I would like to uh, uh, echo what. Uh, uh, Loverock said about the, the 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 staffing and the people. You know, there a lot of guys went to work for the industry and they stayed there 30, 40 years. They, you know, they started when we started and they're still hanging around. You know, I maybe they breathed in too much ammonia. I don't know, but they're, you know, uh, I think the younger generation they're not that interested in uh, some of the stuff that goes on in the ranks, the hours and the, you know the ambient conditions you work in and. Uh, you know, I think some of that stuff has not changed for the best, you know. And, um, you know, things have gone crazy. I mean, I think the biggest, you know, when Gretzky got traded, that's when things really exploded here in the United States. I mean, you know, then we had the, we had the NHL experts coming down saying that, well, you know, if there's 10 times more people in the United States than in Canada. And in Canada, we got 5,000 rinks. You guys need fifty thousand rinks down there, you know, and uh, you know, and they start building them as, as I think Jack Vivian was the one that said, "Cows don't skate," and they built their first one in the middle of a cow country, you know, and so some of the some of the things they did were, I think, the development was ill-advised, uh, but just like bi any business, you know, you you know, if you don't have all the components you need, you, you're not gonna stay in business. So, uh, so a lot of those have been weeded out and. Uh, you know, some of these uh, these operators are, are pretty interesting in their approaches to how they're operating it. And uh, they got a gazillion facilities, and they're trying to operate a rink in in, in Boston the same way you would in uh, in New Mexico. You know, and uh, you got to sometimes we need to take in some of that geographical differences and 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 use our head a little bit. But uh, 
But I, I, I too, uh, you know, and, and one thing I remember, I was at a NISMA conference, I think it was in Amherst, and Ted Sater was coaching the Bruins, and I re remember him saying, the biggest challenge we have as hockey people or ice people is keeping hockey affordable to everybody. And that certainly is not the case, at least what I see of it, you know, and it's, it's scary, you know, it's really scary that uh, the average kid can't get out there and play hockey. And, and again, they, I think that some of the structures have been devastating to, to use hockey. And that's my mind, uh, my mindset. And, you know, I got a grandson playing now and, and I hear these parents talking about, uh, you know, uh, might see travel teams. I mean, Jesus, come on. We, uh, uh, you know, it's just, it's just absolutely absurd. But, uh, you know, the thing about athletes and hockey players, the cream, the cream floats to the top and, uh, the good guys, if they want to stay playing, they'll, they'll get picked up and they'll get scholarship, but some other poor slab down the road is paying the tariff for his scholarship. And I'm talking about in junior hockey and not, not in college or prep school or any of that. So you can get on a soapbox, but, but I do miss the camaraderie. Uh, and I think I forgot who said it, maybe Norman or somebody, but, you know, we had an awful lot of fun, the crew here and this, and, you know, and a half a dozen other guys that, uh, well, you'll never replace the fun and, and good times and, and even in some bad times, uh, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, hockey people come out for hockey people, you know, and it's a, or skating people really. I mean, some of us that were not proficient hockey players certainly believe we're part of that same fraternity and, uh, you know, they come up, we come out for each other. So it's been a great life, great life for me, a great run. I've had a lot, a lot of fun, and I, I hold all these guys pretty, friendships pretty dear, so even you. <laughs> well, I have I created a bunch of questions that I would love to get to, but I know we're not going to have time. I've got two left that I want to get to uh, before the group has to go to blue light specials, nap time, or I think one of you guys has got a Johnny Cash special going tonight i didn't realize you it's he way was past still alive nap time. but <laughs> it's way past nap um, time Doug. <laughs> we're gonna start out with mr love rock what advice do you have to offer to the younger generation of ice rink operators or those that might be considering a job in any facet of our industry that's actually a tough question but i really do believe that you should have a good education and i think that uh, if you listen to all the people in this group here you'd, be, you'd have a hell of a good start but it's uh it's it's actually you want people to have pride in what they do um and the, the training aspect and education things have de definitely changed over the last 40 years that i've been around with like Jimmy was saying earlier about, and Norm were talking about the ice cube system, and now the big push is towards CO2 because everybody's afraid of ammonia. Um, and now CO2 is the big, but this is stuff that's coming down the pipe. And you take a look at your fast ice and your level ice and all these things that come come with it. Yeah, almost have to keep up to speed with um, the aspect of technology. It'll make your job easier when you, once you put it all in place. But uh, Really, it's a, it's the camaraderie ship. Jimmy was saying it's a, the love of the love of it, and it's it just sort of gets in your blood. Um, yeah. And and if it's not in your blood, I suggest you find another job. Yeah. 
It doesn't. It didn't take me long to get sucked into it. I got pulled into it slowly but surely. But over a period of four or five years, I realized this is a great job. It really is. And and if if you got the, if you know what you're doing or you're learning something every day when you go in, it's a big bonus to what you do. Um, nothing nothing stays the same. Change is a constant. But uh, it really is a love and pride. Norman, you're around a bunch of young kids there going to college. What kind of advice can you offer? Well, I think what Dave just said, you know, you know, if you really like getting into the rink business, um, yeah, I just we just hired a guy here. He was uh, working for us in the grounds, and he really took to the ice rink, driving the Zamboni, asking everything about about the Zamboni, the refrigeration equipment. And uh, we just hired him, and he's he's basically my boss now because I'm going out the door. But uh, instead of hiring an assistant, I said, "Let's hire the guy now to take my spot," and we did. And um, and he's he's loving every minute of this of this job. Uh, that's why we went over to Northeastern uh, yesterday. He wanted to go over. He wanted to see the level ice system, the fast ice system. Um, he was, he was loving every bit of it, talking to the guys in the rink, picking up all their ideas and stuff. So, Hey, there's some people that want to work and, uh, they want to get into this business. Not like, uh, Eddie Peduto yells at me every time saying, what the hell did I do to him? You know, but, uh, I think it's a good, it's a great business. And I still think there's a lot of opportunities for people that, uh, if they like it and they want to move up in the business, I think they can do okay. So are you being put on waivers? Is that what you're saying, Tom? I'm doing less and less, which is nice, you know. I didn't have to do all those uh, turnovers this year, you know. That's, yep. the, that's the worst part of my job is that damn basketball floor, you know. Yeah. Hey, Norman, Eddie, Eddie said you weren't doing anything, so how can you do less and less if you're not doing anything? Well, he still comes over my house for every Thursday, Thursday you know. <laughs> <laughs> we had the fire pit going out there, and, you know, hey, we're having a good time still. Was he, was he too young to qualify for this dinosaur podcast, uh? He didn't want to be caught dead with us. He caught dead. Yeah. Yeah. He said, I, I pleaded with him and pleaded with him to get him on here, and he refuses. You know, it's funny. is He's a guy who is he, – he says he doesn't like technology, but he can text on a flip phone faster than anybody I know. <laughs> and he's the first one to critique me on the podcast going – well, why did you ask a similar question two questions in a row? So, Mr. Peduto, the group is missing you. They love you. We wish you were with us, but you're not, so we're going to rail on you. <laughs> I'll well, get him tomorrow night. It's his turn to buy beer. So I'll pick on him tomorrow night. Good. Please do. Please do. D Dino, what uh, advice would you have being a veteran of this industry? I think, I think a simple thing comes to mind, and um, it's nice to see there's still a many single-sheet facilities, usually older, and you got a whole bunch of these four- or five-sheet 
monsters, which is that's cool too. I enjoy that too. But people have to remember the simple fact that it's a recreational business that competes with many, many other businesses for the discretionary income in the interest of children and families. So what you've got to do is you've got to be better than everybody to make the facility as good as you can and to treat the people right. We used to have a, a thing, it wasn't a huge thing at Terry Connors and Stanford at the exit of the exit of the building, it's that entrance exit, it said, come here with a smile, leave here with a smile. That means no screaming at your kids on the way out the door and other stuff. But they said, people have so many choices nowadays. Why do I don't want to go to the ice rink? Because the people are nice to me, because the ice is good. It's a lot of fun. And that's that's important. They have to remember that because there is huge competition, not just within the rinks, but you know, tennis clubs and gyms and a thousand other things out there. So treat people good. That's that's the key. They'll come back. <laughs> Lee, I'm going to throw it at you. Same thing. What would you tell somebody young wanting to get in the industry? I, I guess I would just say that, uh, you know, look around the community and, and see what the numbers are that are actually participating in youth hockey. Uh, I, I'm on board with everybody that said, you know, that it's become an elitist sport. And I think that's just a shame. Um, and, and I think the other thing is, I'm guessing on this one, but you know, one of the things that I always said, and so many other people have said, the last thing you'd say to a team before they go out on the ice is, you know, have fun. And I, I'm not sure kids are having fun anymore, uh, you know, that are involved in the hockey because the pressure is so great and the expense is so great. Um, just too many kids are being eliminated. And, and so, I guess that would be get people in the arenas that, you know, the almighty dollar isn't the most important thing, but to, to bring the community in and get as many kids involved in the sport, whether, whether it be hockey, figure skating, or just public skating. I mean, I can remember when we first opened up Riverside Arena in the summertime in Portland, and literally so many people showed up that we were just taking their money and putting their paper bags and, and, and run it into the office and shut the door. Well, those days are long gone, but they were fun while they lasted. So that's, that's about all I've got. Jimmy, you, we talked, I think it was before this all started that you had a grandson that was helping you out with your technology challenges there. And he's deciding whether to be an architect or an engineer. Would you recommend that uh, your grandkids get involved in the industry that, that served you so well over these years? Uh, uh, maybe. I, 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 you know, you know I, I, I guess I'm old enough where I'm not adept and as well to change sometimes either. But, I, you know, I, I think he'd like it. I mean, he played a little hockey and all that stuff, and he came from that. And uh, But I would encourage him to get on, on the uh, – on the other end of it, I actually I've got a nephew and a great nephew that uh, that are involved with uh, Ice Pro. Uh, that uh, one of them uh, I think is uh, an engineer from Clarkson, and uh, you know he's working his fanny off. And, and but uh, but they're hockey fans, so it's kind of when you when you like hockey or figure skating or you know and you're involved in that, I, I, it 
kind of nice when you're way you're making a living dovetails into it. I'm certainly not going to make, never would make my money as a hockey player, but being a hockey uh, guy and loving hockey, I, you know, it's it's kind of it's nice to make a living in something something you like. But the one thing I know, I'd encourage all these kids. I I would send them to a few people to talk to, and and uh, and the new guys coming in the ring, you know, they, there's a lot more unbelievably great training that uh, uh, young people who want to be in the ice rink industry, if they could afford themselves, it will be at the ISI stuff or. Uh, the other group there, the USA Hockey, whatever their name is, their uh, they've got a their their training program too. Uh, certainly, you're a lot of same teachers anyway, so we all know good teachers. So, uh, you know that that's that's changed a lot the education opportunities, and I think that they should take advantage of that. But but I you know I agree with all the other stuff said you know about hockey. So what else? Well, I'm not as old as near as all of you guys are. But the one thing that I've learned in trying to tell uh, the younger generation, if they'll listen to me, uh, is to find something that they enjoy doing. Find something that you're passionate about, because if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to be any good at it. It's kind of like with my wife and cooking. My wife doesn't enjoy cooking. Um, I enjoy it. And I tell people that uh, I do the cooking in our household to keep people from ending up in the hospital. And it's not, she's not that she's not near that bad of a cook at all but she just doesn't enjoy it and her favorite store to go to is home depot and that's one of the last places i want to go to i'd rather go to a grocery store and buy stuff so it's uh it's it's interesting and it's great i want to you know thank all of you guys for letting me pick on you a little bit and i want to thank you guys for i consider you to be some of my very best friends that i've met through this industry i do have one last question i usually expand a little bit more on food but I'm going to start out with Jim Hartnett on this one. I want to know, Jimmy, where is the best Italian beef in all the land, and what kind of a story is attached to Italian beef in, in me taking you to a restaurant with some of your cohorts at one of the trade shows down in Chicago? Well, all of us that went to the trade shows know the uh, hospitality that uh, it uh, whirls around the Zamboni crew in a Zamboni family. I think Richard started the, the, the whole image anyway, but we had a bunch of guys there at, uh, and we were in Chicago and I said, uh, Doug says, grab your guys and we'll go out to eat. And I says, well, I'm telling you, we're going to go. I've never been with these guys when they don't take us to a great Italian restaurant, first class, everything, every, whatever you want, but it'll be top shelf. So we piled onto this car and one guy's still bitching about riding on a frame. He said, I don't know. We had probably 10 people in a Volkswagen. I don't know what it was. I can't remember. But we're driving and driving. I'm saying, Jesus, where the hell are we going? Doug, where the hell are we going? You'll see. You'll see. Doug, where the hell are we going? Doug pulls up in front of some bloody hot dog stand. <laughs> takeout sausage. It's supposed to be super famous in in chicago but i got all these guys their mouths watering for me telling them what they're how they're going to be treated like this and jerky joe buys them a uh, you know an italian <laughs> sausage, i think it was an italian sausage sandwich i don't even know if they had a beef on a bun so it had peppers I think and onions I, on it did it and i paid for that for years there were you with us that night you probably yeah, were, were you with us oh yeah, and i think uh, uh was it not the best know, italian beef you've ever had in your life no. Donnie's beef. No? Okay. Donnie's beef. 
in Chicago. So Steve, Steve Shutt was so mad. Just <laughs> Yeah. Well, Shuddy's a pretty good knife and fork man too. So, and he likes yeah. the nice. He has to have a glass of wine. So if you, yeah, they probably didn't have wine. probably didn't have wine. So that was the key right there. So. <laughs> well, you forgot the yellow lights, Jim, outside the restaurant. Or oh or yeah. The stand, the... <laughs> yeah, and it was about forty degrees, and we're sitting outside, and it's got the them yellow lights for for mosquitoes. To keep mosquitoes away. And I've tried to sell this as a first class. Of, you know, and Chicago could be the greatest city in the world to go to eat in. We go to, we go to that dump. <laughs> There's a lot of people who are going to disagree with you about Johnny's Beef. That's one of the places that they have to go to. And it's still on my list of places that I have to go to when I'm in Chicago. Not when you're expecting so. a Mort, Morton steak or something like that. <laughs> Well, you need to go to Mr. Roy's house then for a lobster dinner. I was been uh, fortunate enough to have him get, and I told, I think Lee, I don't know if you got the text or not, but I said that uh, we sold a machine, a Model 200, to Reedy, who owns Reedy Seafoods, and I guess that uh, he said that he supplied you with a lot of lobster over the years. Well, Norm, were you up there that uh, board meeting we had at our house where we? Uh cooked up like 50 lobsters for uh what was it 10 of us nine of us yeah we we're at the picnic outside the house oh that wasn't that great oh yeah that was that was we yeah i mean seriously we had 50 lobsters and a couple people was nice they didn't eat lobster so i had steak for them yeah that was one of the board meetings that uh, yeah. we 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 did enjoy that meal immensely yes See, Dave, that's, 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 they never invited us there, Dave, you know, when they had no, their lobsters. That's why they keep the vendors off the board yeah. for the media yeah. organization, because they didn't want them coming up there and enjoying lobster. Yeah. Well, that, that, that was a nice thing. One of the perks, at least in Maine, of running an ice arena is because we had a lot of lobstermen along the coast, and their kids were always in my hockey clinics, my hockey schools, my power skating schools, whatever I could do to make money. And I never charged those kids. Smart they, man. They, they, were, they, <laughs> they, they, they were in for free. And all I had to do was make a phone call and say, you know, hey, Tommy, uh, I need about 40. And I'd wake up the next morning and there would be two or three five-gallon buckets of lobster right out of the ocean. And... Uh, yeah, that was that was one of the real perks I enjoyed of the job. Well, gentlemen, I could go on for hours with you because I enjoy rehashing the stories, reliving the memories that uh, that we've all shared, and gaining the knowledge that uh, you guys have had in the hundreds of years of experience within this group. But I know that uh, some of you have got some other things that you have to go to. I and I, I appreciate this very much. Maybe I can, uh, God willing, get us all back together again for another one of these discussions about the industry that uh, we've made our living in for so many years. Doug, the but, only thing I want to say, I, I wish your poor Marty could have been on because we wanted to dump on you to make Marty feel a little bit better because the way you beat on him and his Canadian background. So <laughs> you mean silver? I don't know what his name is. I never met him. I just I just feel sorry for the poor guy. But aren't all Canadians known as silver? Because uh, that's what they that's that's what they win. 
when I came in here, uh, you, you talk about Dougie Moore and, uh, and uh, Gardner and Karch. They were convinced that Canadians invented ice. So don't, you know, that's how, how <laughs> in, entrenched it is up there in their heads. So that's only because they needed it to put their whiskey or rye in, you know? Well, being of but, Irish de- Irish descent, we we would take an exception to that too. So, anyway, it's a pleasure. I just want to say, good to see all of you again. Want to thank thank everybody again for taking part with this. We look forward to being able to do this again. We want to thank everyone for listening in to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts podcast. Have a question for one of our experts or an idea for a future episode? Please email your questions or requests to info at zamboni.com. For more information and additional podcast episodes, please visit Zamboni.com forward slash podcasts or search Ask the Zamboni Experts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. This is Doug Peters wishing you an ice day.